Fire in the Mountains, Chapter 12 A knock on the door woke Shoto up. He made a few sounds and approximated words, but was fairly certain he hadn't achieved anything substantial when the knock just sounded again, cutting through the pulsing in Shoto's head. He tried again, but his tongue didn't really work properly. The door opened. Your Majesty. Shoto didn't pull his head out from under his pillow. Go away. Ida huffed very professionally. I am under direct orders to ensure you drink all of this. Ida nudged him on the shoulder, and Shoto spent a very brief and childish moment whining into his pillow. Orders from who? He demanded, rolling onto his side and taking the pillow with him. The light was searingly bright. King Kotsky himself, my lord. He said I am to ensure you drink every last drop of this, even if I have to. Um, well, the particulars aren't important. Just drink it. What is this? Shoto muttered, sticking out his head and wedging himself in a mostly upright position against the wall. <clears throat> the room twisted violently, and Shoto's head pounded and his stomach rolled, and he had the very concerning thought that he might not be totally sober. I have no idea, Ida said, sounding far too chipper about it. However, I recommend you don't smell it. Shoto did not follow that recommendation, and Ida had to shove a little tub that had been conveniently placed by the bed into Shoto's hands to a avoid a rather spectacular mess. Gods above! Shoto hissed. He was dying. That's all there was for it. He was actually dying. Drink, my lord, Ida insisted, shoving the tankard he was holding back into Ida's hands. Fuck you. My lord, Ida gasped. Fuck. Uh, I'm sorry, Tenya. Shoto croaked. I, I can't. Direct orders, my prince. You must. Shoto grumbled and snatched the mug away and swallowed all of it in one go, and for one second he thought he might be sick again. It was liquor. Kotsky had given him more liquor. But then it settled, and Shoto's stomach calmed with it. Gods. Feeling any better, my lord? They're evil, he said flatly. These barbarians are pure, roiling evil, and all their spirits and their damned sweet potatoes, too. All of them? Ida asked a little too innocently. Shoto narrowed his eyes at him. Yes. Even Lord Denki? Shoto blinked and said suspiciously, Yes. Even Lord Denki. Are you quite certain of that, my lord? Because you didn't seem to think he was particularly evil last night. What are you talking about? Shoto snapped. My head is already spinning. I don't need you talking in circles. Ida gave Shoto a look that was half pity and half amused. You don't remember, my lord. <coughs> remember what? Lord Denki sitting in your lap? Shoto looked at Ida as if he was very dim. And playing with your hair, my lord. You're full of shit, Shoto proclaimed. Ida blushed a little at the curse, but then still said, I'm afraid not, my lord. It was quite the spectacle, especially considering you'd been dancing with King Kotsky just a few moments earlier. Shoto shook his head, a slow, creeping horror crawling up his spine. There was no way he'd let Danky, and in public, no.
He'd never. I... I wouldn't. I suppose you had indulged a bit... excessively. You were already, uh... a bit out of sorts when you stepped onto the fighting ring, and that was relatively early on in the evening. Shoto did blush at that. He certainly remembered tottering around the ring and weaving in and out of the warrior woman's punches. And then, more food and drink. Dancing. He remembered Izuku dancing. Of course. It would take more than a few drinks to make him forget that. And then, Kotsky. They talked. And after... Shoto sat bolt upright and his stomach heaved at the motion. Not only was Ida correct, he only had about half the story. My lord. Oh, what happened after he uh, sat, uh, sat in my lap? Shoto demanded. Uh, lord Izuku saw fit to escort you to bed. Izuku had, oh, yes. He had, and Shoto had said something to him, something important and something horrible. Shoto put his head in his hands and groaned a little in sheer mortification. Before he was through, there was a very tentative knock at his door. Ida answered it before Shoto could stop him, and they both froze when they saw Denki standing in the doorway, wringing his hands a little and looking uncharacteristically concerned. Uh... Lord Denki, Ida said. Shoto was too shocked to speak at all, and also his whole face was on fire. Hey, Tinya, <clears throat> Denki said, voice almost a little too cheerful. Can I talk to Shoto alone, please? Uh, alone? Ida said a little slowly, looking over his sh shoulder at Shoto. Shoto couldn't think of a single reason to ask Ida to stay. So he was forced to agree. Ida shut the door behind him, and Denki stared at Shoto from across the room for a very brief moment before he flounced over like he had been more comfortable and threw himself into Shoto's bed. Shoto watched him with wide, shocked eyes and had no idea how he's going to survive the next five minutes. Did Denki think he could just... Had Shoto said something to him, or... Denki took Shoto's shocked silence and stillness as an invitation, and he put his head in Shoto's lap. Shoto held his hands around his chest and couldn't even bring himself to close his mouth. Denki peered up at him and said very easily and very earnestly, I'm sorry. Shoto blinked at him. Uh, s uh, sorry for what exactly? Denki grinned wickedly at him and scrambled onto his knees all of a sudden. He tapped Shoto on the nose and Shoto jerked away from it. You don't remember? Shoto swallowed. Uh, oh, you do? Okay, good. Good? Yeah. So, like, like I said, sorry. He gave Shoto a very stern look and said, You're a very pretty drunk, Prince Shoto, but I shouldn't have taken advantage. Shoto thought carefully over the of the events of the solstice feast and then squeezed his eyes shut. Things were much easier to remember now that Denki was here. And even though he was being fairly playful, as he always was, Shoto could tell Denki was upset, concerned, but trying to make light. Uh, I don't think you did, he admitted, eyes still squeezed shut. Denki groaned. I just mean, you're kinda, you know. What? Shoto deadpanned. I just know you haven't kissed many people and we were drunk and I should have known stop Shoto said a little tightly Denki only knew half the story after all 
I... Fuck. What? Dinky said a little curiously. I... Shoto had no idea how to say this. Or even if he should. I think... Perhaps our... Interaction... Was something of a... Convenience. Dinky narrowed his eyes. You're saying I was convenient. No, I just... Shoto muttered, perhaps a little too hastily. I only mean, um... I was... Distracted. Distracted? Denki readjusted himself on the bed. He was still sitting very close to Shoto, but Shoto found he didn't mind as much as he thought he would. Or should. He was shocked to realize some part of him was much more comfortable with Denki than he thought he had any right to be. Nothing. Never mind, Shoto muttered. Denki stared at him for a long moment, and then he said, Wait, wait. You mean I was distracting? That. That was actually the the right of it. Shoto must have made a face because Dinky's eyes went wide. Distracting from what, Shoto? Nothing, Shoto said too hastily yet again. From dancing with Kotsky? Dinky pressed far too intuitive for Shoto's tastes. No. Of course not. It was just... just a dance. Oh, I see. Denki declared, eyes positively sparkling. There's nothing to see, Shoto snapped. Go away. I'm ill and I need to sleep forever. <coughs> Denki snorted, and then he stretched out on Shoto's bed again, head once more on Shoto's knees. You and me both... I think I had almost as much to drink as you did last night. (coughs) Shoto groaned and didn't have the energy to push Denki away. Tenya saw you sit in my lap, Denki. That is incredibly inappropriate. You're married to my husband, Shoto. No one thinks it's inappropriate. Maybe I do. Oh, relax, Dinky complained. You were a perfect gentleman. Shoto grimaced. He wasn't so sure. Honestly, half the castle's probably talking about how well you can hold your liquor since you were already soaked by the time you fought that warrior and you made her look like a child in training. I gather I was a bit rude to her. Shoto murmured. Ah, it just looked like you were showing off. Koski shows off all the time. And no one saw us kissing but Mina, so that's fine. Izuku knew. Shoto muttered. Did he? Denki asked. So... I... I just... You know, Denki said a little slyly, it's probably a good thing you got a little practice in with me. Oh, shut up, Shoto grumbled. I'm serious, and you were too drunk to be nervous, so now it's over with. Over with? Yeah, and you don't have to worry about being bad at it. I wasn't worried, Denki snorted. (laughs) You were pretty terrible at first. Shoto started to push him out of the bed. You got better. We were there for a while, you know. You figured it all out pretty fast. Oh, a while? Dinky snorted. (laughs) Yeah. And then he shrugged. I thought you were having fun. But Mina said I should probably come talk to you. Fun? Yeah. You didn't have fun? Shoto bit his lip. Was it so bad if he told the truth? To Denki, of all people? He was Denki. What could it possibly hurt? Yes. All right. I had fun. 
Dinky popped up abruptly and kissed Shoto on the cheek. Shoto was still too shocked to even really be shocked. Good! But that doesn't mean we should do it again, Shoto quickly added with a warning. Dinky snorted. <laughs> Mina would kill me. She says you're off limits for whatever reason. Like you're a quivering little flower who couldn't possibly fend us off. Shoto couldn't help but grin, too, just a little. Like you've ever done a single thing you didn't want to, Dinky added. Shoto frowned. Is that what you think of me? How many things had Shoto done that he had never would have chosen for himself? He would have never ended up here, certainly. Yeah, Dinky said easily. You're no flower, even if you act like one sometimes. Otherwise, Denki added voice just a little too innocent for Shoto's liking. Katsuki wouldn't like you so much. He doesn't. Shoto mumbled back a little too quickly, a sudden heat flaring into his cheeks. Shows what you know, Denki added. And no matter how Shoto protested, Denki just smiled at him and shrugged. Shoto slept for a long time after that, and when he woke up, he felt fully sober and not nearly so sick, but he was sure he absolutely reeked of spirits. He, should, he could still taste them. He snuck off to bathe, and then stopped by the kitchens for a bland snack of plain oatmeal before he went back to his room to sleep the rest of the day away. He found Izuku in the hallway, lifting his hand to knock on his door. Shoto's cheeks heated immediately. He didn't quite remember what he had said to Izuku last night, but he had some idea it had been embarrassing and private. And why was everyone so intent on visiting his room today? No one checked up on Kotsky like this when he overindulged. Of course, Shoto couldn't remember a time when Kotsky had made such a fool of himself as Shoto had. Izuku. Oh, Prince Shoto, Izuku said, quite shocked, turning away from the door and blinding Shoto with a smile. Shoto realized with a nasty squirm that aside from last night, they hadn't really been alone since that night. How are you feeling? Shoto gave Izuku a flat, empty look and pushed past it into his room. That bad, huh? Shoto laid down and groaned some more. I made a complete fool of myself. Izuku said very gently, No, you didn't. I once saw Kotsky drunk on moonshine knock himself out trying to blow up a tree with his magic. Shoto snorted into his pillow. He miscalculated and threw himself back on the rocks behind him. He had an egg on the back of his head for a week. That should surprise me more, Shoto said. He's so precise with his magic. He was more reckless then, Izuku said. Lots of us were. It's amazing the difference a decade can make. Shoto thought, suddenly and uncomfortably, of Dobby and mumbled some vague assent. When he didn't speak words, Izuku sat down on his bed and wrapped his hand around Shoto's bare calf. Shoto had a sudden lump in his throat and waged a very violent internal war with himself. To lay perfectly still, or to shrug Izuku away. He didn't want to shrug him away, and he didn't want to not shrug him away. He lay still, and then he said, I... I don't remember what we talked about last night, but I feel as if I... overstepped. No, no, Izuku said very magnanimously. You didn't say anything you should feel uncomfortable sharing with a friend. A friend. Shoto felt that lump in his throat again, felt an odd and sudden stinging behind his eyes. A friend. He'd never had him any of those. Even Ida had been more of a servant than peer. 
for all his noble blood. But what was Izuku if not a friend? What were Denki and Mina and Kiri? What was Kotsky? What, um... Uh, Izuku said hastily. Details are fuzzy. I had my share of spirits, too. Shoto knew he was lying, and oddly enough, he was thankful for it. So, did you... Did you just come to see how I was feeling? Shoto mumbled. He still hadn't really lifted his face out of the pillow. He didn't want to sit up. He was still too nauseated. And he was afraid if he turned over, Izuku would stop touching him. And he liked it far too much to be appropriate. And to talk, Izuku said. His voice was effortless, guileless. It amazed Shoto that Izuku could be like that. That he could want to talk, just to listen, just to hear. There were no ulterior motives here. He wasn't searching for ammunition for weakness. The opposite, maybe. If it had been if it hadn't been for his stupid, foolish attempt at a kiss, Shoto would have felt so much better after talking to Izuku that night. Like Shoto had spoken a weakness, and Izuku had calmly and serenely stored it up, and it didn't hurt anymore. We haven't really, you know, since... Please don't. Shoto whispered. Izuku was quiet for a long moment when he said softly, It wasn't that I didn't want to. Shoto just swallowed and lay in silence, staring into the dark behind his eyelids. How could I not? Shoto's stomach flipped over, and it was equal parts light air and boiling lead. How could he not? Why? Because of Shoto, who Shoto was, or the way he looked. And because it was Izuku. Because Shoto knew he wouldn't taunt or laugh or pity, Shoto said quietly, Why? Why? Why would you want to? Izuku laughed, a warm, floaty little sound, and he said, <laughs> I admire you. Shoto finally turned over. He needed to see Izuku's face. Izuku was peering at him with a little smile and a little pink flush under all his freckles. Like he was embarrassed, but still determined to speak. You've seen terrible things, and you've been treated terribly by people who are supposed to love you. And with all that, you grew up with an entire kingdom at your beck and call. And instead of being spoiled and cruel, you just... Izuku sighed, and Shoto felt very exposed. He'd never had someone tell him about himself before. It was a very strange feeling. You just keep looking for someone to trust, Izuku finished. And for one brief, sharp, awful moment, Shoto's whole chest ached. I guess I just want to be him. Shoto blinked and whispered, I do trust you. He did. He really did. Izuku smiled at him and squeezed his leg very gently. I'm glad to know you, Shoto. And for some reason, Shoto laughed. <laughs> I think I could live a thousand lives and never meet another man quite like you. Why is that? Izuku's grin got a little sharper, a little pointed. There was almost something of Kotsky in it. Outland blood is unpredictable, Prince Shoto. Don't you know that by now? You're all so kind for no reason, Shoto half grumbled. It's disconcerting. True kindness never needs a reason. 
Izuku informed him curtly. And most people are kind. But we live differently than you. Chieftains aren't inherited. They're earned. Everyone does their share here. Maybe that's why we confuse you. He said, smiling again, his eyes crinkled with enthusiasm. We're a kingdom of commoners, your highness. Huh? Shoto had never quite thought of it like that. He'd seen Koski as common, maybe, but he hadn't fully connected that if it were not for his conquering nature, there wouldn't have been any difference between him and any one of the palace servants. Books I've read said everything in the flatlands passes through bloodlines, Izuku continued. How do you know the most fit person is leading? You don't, Shoto said. The idea is, the Todoroki line is blessed by the gods. But I don't believe that. For one, there's a sickness in our blood that makes some of us incapable of ruling. Like my mother. There was a thoughtful moment of silence, Izuku clearly musing on the implications of inheritance. Then Shoto asked, Fighting can't be the best way to pick a leader either. A strong warrior isn't always a strong ruler. True, Izuku said, and in that case, the people would riot. Shoto jerked his head. What? Really? Izuku shrugged. Lots of chiefs have been killed that way. They turned into tyrants. Barbarians don't tolerate that. And someone like Kotsky, for example? Maybe he could fight off a dozen of people. Maybe dozens. But at that point, you'd have to choose between yourself or everyone in your village. Either way, you lose your chiefdom. Shoto stared at Izuku and asked, how is it your people are so much wiser than mine? Izuku grinned at him. I think it's the weather. It's a lot easier to stay warm if you have someone to cuddle with. Shoto laughed, sharp and startled, and for some reason felt as if Izuku had some said something obscene. No one talked like that where Shoto came from. Don't cooperate and you've instantly freeze to death, Izuku said with a shrug. At the root of things. It's really that simple. Shoto mused. And it was, and it wasn't, of course. The idea of cooperation like that was easy to comprehend and a lot harder to practice. Izuku's smile shifted again, almost mischievous, and said, Was it the weather that found you and Denki hidden behind a door last night? Did you need to keep warm? Shoto buried his face in his hands, shocked that Azuku had brought it up at all. <sighs> no, I was being foolish. And how did you enjoy being foolish? Stop, Shoto mumbled. It wasn't... It's not as if... I just... I was just... You were just what? Being foolish. Shoto said again. He wanted to ask Izuku to dance. He'd wanted Kotsky to. He'd wanted Kotsky. He had wanted Kotsky. <clears throat> He'd wanted him so much it hurt to think it. Hurt to know he was nothing but a convenience. And maybe Kotsky had always intended to be kind to him. But of course, he could never. He had his family. He had his love and his country and his people, and he could shower Shoto with gifts and be decent. But still, at the heart of things, he was just... just like Izuku. A friend. Someone Shoto could trust, and nothing more. And maybe Shoto could steal some time, steal some breaths behind a doorway, just like he had with Denki. But it would never be. It would never be like what Kotsky had with Denki and what he'd had with Izuku once. Shoto wanted that. And maybe Kotsky was just convenient too. Just a pretty face and a template for what sentiment 
could look like. But Shoto wanted that so much, he thought he might break with the unflinching need of it. Izuku said quietly, Hey, hey, are you okay? I'm fine. I am fine, Shoto said. Fine. He was fine. Always fine, fine, fine. Gods above, what had happened to him? After solstice came more snow. They were so heavy all the doors were physically blocked now, unless Shoto or Kotsky went around to them and melted off the snow. Shoto read books about outland history and custom. He trained, too, sometimes with Hazuku and Kotsky at once, which was always a particular challenge, as each of them decided who was the greater threat, and small alliances were built just to be broken seconds later. An hour spent alone discussing history with Izuku became simple and easy, and not at all strange. Izuku had about as much random outland trivia, just memorized, as Shoto thought maybe existed in Kotsky's whole library. And he was always reading, and taking notes in a leather-bound journal he carried with him all over the castle. Once, when Shoto asked him about it, he admitted he always carried parchment to write down things he found interesting, but that his chiefly duties had kept him too preoccupied in recent years. Don't tell him I said this, Izuku said with a mischievous twinkle in his eyes. There was no need to specify who him was. But bringing the village, the village here for the winter has... I haven't felt this relaxed in years. Shoto frowned thoughtfully. Not to say, I mean, I haven't forgotten why we're here, Izuku said hastily. But winter sort of halts everything out here. Everyone is so focused on keeping out the cold and keeping food stored and whatnot. Did you know the only chief to ever attempt a winter assault lost two-thirds of his troops before the actual battle, and half of that was left of what was left died trying to hold the blockade they created before he killed before they killed him and begged their enemies for shelter i did read that shoto said trying to recall the name of the foolhardy chief in question so it's safe to say we're all safe for a little while at least izuku said with a shrug Normally, I'd be up to my chest in a snowdrift now, trying to keep the paths between all the houses clear, or trying to keep the livestock sheltered, or helping our mages cast insulating spells on everything. It's been nice letting Kachan's people handle things for a change. And I know the villagers are, ha the villagers are happy too. I think Toshi actually managed to put a little weight on even, he added thoughtfully with a smirk. Shoto thought he might be right. Toshinori had been looking a little less gaunt lately. Days crawled by. Shoto helped Mina concoct a new potion when he pointed out a use for an herb that she wasn't aware of. Shoto wasn't sure of their particulars, but he knew Flatlanders used that herb to mix with some sort of berry for burn salves. Mina argued with him and told him the herb, a kind of fluffy white flower, was poisonous. But then she set off to experimenting and approached him two weeks later with a little jar that she wanted him to test. Shoto eyed it suspiciously, since it didn't look anything like the salve he was used to. Relax, she said with a laugh. Kotsky already let me test it out on his hands. Once I was sure it was safe. And it works. And, she added with a little twinkle in her eye, used sparingly, it should also help to fade scars. If you wanted to. Shoto stared at the little jar and had a very strange lump in his throat. But you only need a little at a time. All the ingredients are pretty rare, so I can only make it so often. 
Shoto thanked her and put the set on the shelf above his vanity that had his perfume, some shampoo, and bath oil she'd made him to go along with it. A lotion for his face and hands that he started using when the winter cold made his skin dry and his hands crack, and a little pot of face paints the servants had left for him after the solstice menstruations. Shoto peered at all the little pots and glass bottles and then looked around his room at the fur vest draped over the back of his vanity chair and the quilt Kotsky had given him for solstice and Dinky's lights and realized with an odd splash of vertigo that his room looked lived in in a way none of Shoto's rooms had ever. Inji's servants had come in every day and cleaned his room and had put everything away so even when he'd been a child, the room had looked more like something to be seen but not to be used. But Kotsky's servants were different. True, they came in every day and cleaned, but they let Shoto determine where his things went, and they didn't move them in an effort to clear space. If Shoto left a book open on his table... He could be sure to find his book exactly where he'd left it, table neatly wiped underneath it. It made Shoto feel comfortable here, like he could relax, like something wasn't wrong if he left a fur vest over a chair, or didn't close the book he'd been reading and hide it away in a drawer until it could be read again. The constant state of perfection of his childhood room had left him on edge and he'd never noticed until it was normal to peer around and see signs of life. It was like his chest had been one big knot his whole life and now it was coming undone. Of course, there was one snarl that only got tighter as the days passed. Being alone with Kotsky hurt. He was a busy man, and his time was stretched thin. When they were together, he was distracted, though he tried to hide it. But Shoto began to recognize when Kotsky was playing it unaffected, as he often did, and when he was truly thinking of something else, and Shoto had interrupted him. He liked history, too, but he told Shoto different things than Izuku did. Izuku's interests spanned an enormous range, but Kotsky was even more knowledgeable than Izuku about battles, famous chiefs and generals, and would-be kings. They met in the library often. Shoto was there more than anyone, unless he was training. At first he liked it. He liked the quiet, and he liked that if he stayed in the library, he might get to talk to one person at a time. Izuku, looking for a new book to read. Ochako, studying up on temporal magic. Mina, looking for a catalog of plant life. Dinky didn't come here hardly ever, which relieved Shoto a bit. He enjoyed Dinky's company, but he almost didn't trust himself alone with him, after what had happened at Solstice. And Kiri wasn't much of a reader either, although he loved to be told stories. Kotsky was here more than any of his spouses. But Shoto realized eventually that he was allowed the solitude he had claimed for himself because they were with each other. And he was here. Alone. And if being alone with Kotsky was hard, seeing him with his family was worse. It was the only time he ever really smiled the only time it ever reached his eyes. The only time he could forget the impending threat that spring would bring. Shoto knew that's what he was worried about, because Shoto was too, if he allowed himself to think about it. But not being the leader of the armies, not being the one to stare at maps and look at atlases and try to pinpoint where the villains could be hiding, it allowed Shoto to do what he did best. Disconnect. Ignore, ignore, ignore. Shoto would have lost his mind long ago if he hadn't learned how to do that. 
But the problem with relaxation, with compartmentalization, with, for the very first time in Shoto's life, optimism, was that sooner or later it had to end. The snows began to thin. Shoto forgot what it was like to hate training and forgot what it was like to look at Kotsky and not ache from head to toe. He forgot what a full night's rest felt like because he lay awake with his mind full of what it had felt like when Denki had kissed him, trying desperately to imagine it wasn't Denki that had done it. Shoto forgot what it was like to not see Izuku every day and to not feel as if he could tell Izuku anything and Izuku would make it all better. And except for in the darkest pits of his nightmares, he forgot what it felt like to fear blue fire and a terribly familiar face. And then one day, messengers came. Shoto came into the room where they all frequently shared breakfast and found someone already speaking with Kotsky while the other three watched. What's going on? Shoto asked Kirishima. Kiri chewed his lip in interest and said, Some kind of message. There was still snow on the ground, and a lot of it, and Shoto said in shock, Really? They're kind of early this year, Kiri said as the servant handed Kotsky a letter and then turned to Shoto. Shoto accepted another letter in bemusement, and when he looked down, he found a very thick envelope addressed to him in Fiyumi's handwriting. He looked up automatically as Kotsky opened his missive, heart sinking. But even from here, he could see the letter Kotsky was holding was in Inji's thick, precise hand. Kotsky's face fell. What is it? Shota mumbled. Does he have news? Kotsky wrinkled his nose and let out grimly. He has news, all right. He passed the letter to Shoto. Shoto's heart clenched as he began to read. It was a short, direct letter, but Shoto could read between the lines. Enji was displeased with the lack of information Shoto had sent in his last letter and also concerned about what Shoto and Kotsky had hinted at. That wasn't the part that made Shoto sick to his stomach, though. That was the conclusion Enji had reached. He was concerned for his son. Shoto's letter hadn't sounded like him, and had hinted at a threat Enji had a right to be worried about. He would arrive at Kotsky's palace the moment he had guides willing to lead him there. When? Shoto started, mouth dry. The letter had been written months ago, just after the first real snowfall. Kotsky looked terribly grim, and when he was staring very intently at Shoto's face, I sent three of my people to him, but only two returned. If I know the third, he'll be willing to deliver Inji to us as soon as next week, assuming the weather holds. What? Mina interrupted loudly. Shoto went very quiet as he set the letters down on the dining room table and left the room. The door didn't even close behind him. Hey, princess, wait! The hallway felt very small, very tight all of a sudden. Shoto, hey! Kotsky said, voice strange and low, and Shoto realized he was trying to be soothing. He grabbed Shoto's arm and pulled him around, and the motion put Shoto's back against the wall. He... he's going to... he'll... He can't hurt you here. Kotsky snapped very forcefully. This is my fucking home. I won't let him touch you. Shoto laughed a little coldly. He wasn't worried about Enji hurting him. Kotsky didn't know Enji at all if he thought that's all Enji was. He's come to take me back. Kotsky's hands fell from Shoto's shoulder and he stepped back, face going slack. He hadn't expected Shoto to say that. 
What? He can't. Yes. Shadow hissed. He can. He'll find a way. A way to force you to agree. For... For diplomacy's sake. There ain't nothing he could say to make me... Be convinced to just... Let him. Am I more important than all those little villages along the border? Shoto snapped. Kotsky's mouth stayed open, the words he'd about to speak going unsaid. I thought not. Shoto hissed. He pushed away, pushed past Kotsky, and headed back down the hall. Fuck, he had a headache, right behind his fucking eyes, just pulsing. Princess, wait! Stop calling me that! Shoto spat without turning around. I told you from the start this was temporary, he added. You don't want to go, Kotsky said, trotting a few steps to catch back up with them. Don't act like you don't give a fuck. I know you. You don't want to go back there. I know you. I don't have a choice. Shoto told him, resigned and furious all at once. And neither will you. No, Kotsky said immediately. Fuck that. There's always a choice. There's always a, a way. You don't know my father, Shoto told him again. He'd, man, he'd make a man choose between drowning and hanging, knowing that all in the end he's still dead. It's no choice at all. I'll think of something, Kotsky said desperately. And Shoto actually stopped, because he'd never heard Kotsky sound like that. Not like that. Kotsky was always so sure of himself, but this... This was different. Shoto looked at him and he got a little flash, a vision of the past. A younger man, still a child really, proclaiming, I'll be king. And then it was gone. It was always going to end like this. Shoto said, Prepare your best rooms. His standards are exacting, but he respects a good host. Shoto, I'll collect my things. Shoto! Shoto went back to his room and left Kotsky staring at him, eyes burning like dying coals against a bed of ash. Shoto didn't want to collect anything. He went back to his room and he looked around at everything he'd accumulated here and thought of leaving it behind hurt. There was a physical pain in his chest, an awful tight feeling that was hard to breathe around and it only got worse the longer he stared. He hadn't expected to find friends here. He hadn't expected to find a home. He hadn't expected to ever feel so much just at the very thought of never seeing any of this again. Never seeing any of them ever again. Maybe Kotsky. Maybe on a visiting diplomatic journey of some sort. Years from now, assuming Inji didn't try to set the mountains on fire, and assuming to... Dobby and Tomura didn't succeed at whatever they were planning, but Mina and Denki and Kiri? Unlikely. Izuku? Never. Never again. Shoto wasn't sure which was worse. Never seeing Izuku again, or seeing Kotsky years from now. A few days of nostalgia, and unrealized longing all that he was allowed. Kotsky would be older, Perhaps some silver-gray strands blending in with the pale blonde. Maybe Shoto would be married for real by then, some husband or wife perfectly suited to Angie's devices. Maybe Shoto would be brave enough then, or stupid enough, or desperate enough to, just once, since he'd never gotten to while he was here. He'd spend years thinking about it. He knew he would thinking about all the ways Kotsky surprised him, and thinking about all the ways Shoto had never known him. 
all the things he'd never had a chance to learn. He'd wasted so much time hating the man just because he didn't know what what kindness even felt like. Because he'd heard Kotsky's gruff voice and coarse words and had the fire in his eyes and assumed he was nothing but cruel even when everything had told Shoto different. He wasted so much time determined not to feel any of this had even convinced himself he was incapable of it. What a fool he'd been. He sat on his bed for hours and thought in circles, tried to think of a way to stay, tried to think of how he should warn everyone before Inji got here, make them see what a danger he was. He worked himself into the deepest, blackest pits he'd ever fallen into and then realized that Dobby and Tomura's threat would still exist when Shoto went back. Except he wouldn't have anyone, not Izuku or Katsuki or anyone to help him. Not fight. Not fend them off. Not even that, but to cope. To live with the knowledge that the only man Shoto had ever really looked up to was alive and wasn't at all who Shoto remembered. Maybe he never had been at all. What would Shoto do if Dobby came knocking and Kotsky wasn't there to scream him up again if he fell down? Shoto had spent his whole life not relying on anyone but himself and somewhere along the way he'd forgotten how important that was. This was why, wasn't it? In the end, Inji took everything that ever mattered. Shoto couldn't stay in his room anymore, so he went to find Kotsky. Maybe he could warn him, make him see, help him prepare for everything Inji would bring. It was the middle of the day, so Shoto checked his office first, but he wasn't there. Nor was he in the the bedroom or his bathhouse, or on the training pitch, so Shoto went next to Denki's workshop, and then to Mina's. Kotsky was there, and so was she.